I think I'm still recovering a little bit from Overflow Youth Conference, so you have to forgive me if uh, my voice breaks like halfway through this morning. And uh, I was trying to save my voice a little bit during worship, um, you know, for the message, but I honestly, I couldn't help it. Like, I just, I had to sing along because like, there's just something about praising God together in community. Like, there's just, there's nothing like that. And today, it is an exciting day. It is Pentecost Sunday. And honestly, this has to be one of my favorite Sundays of the year. And as a Pentecostal church who, if you didn't know already, because I don't think I've heard anyone actually call us this since I've been here, but our full legal name is Freedom in Christ Pentecostal Assembly. And we are part of the fellowship known as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. We've been around for several decades and we are steeped in Pentecostal tradition. Of course, our very denomination as Pentecostals gets its name from Pentecost, the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as seen in Acts chapter 2. And as Pentecostals, we can trace our roots back to a significant event that happened at the turn of the 20th century. And this major event that really was responsible for the global spread of Pentecostalism, and I'll talk about in a second, was started by a man named William Seymour. And you can see his picture on the screen behind me. The first time that I learned about William Seymour was back in Bible college when I was taking a History of Pentecostalism course taught by my professor, Will Sluice. And now, Will Sluice, he was the type of professor that he wouldn't just teach, like, he would orate. Like, it's kind of like when Morgan Freeman just, like, narrates anything, and you're just like, all right, like, I'm listening, like, I'm in there. Like, he could be narrating paint drying, and you'd be like, this is fascinating, right? And so this was, this was Will Sluice, and he was teaching this course, and it had to be one of my favorite courses in the entirety of my time in Bible college. Now, William Seymour, he was born in dire circumstances amongst poverty and devastation in Louisiana, in, sorry, Louisiana in 1870. He was born in a dark period of time in American history, the son of two former victims of slavery. And it wasn't until his 20s when he was traveling around the Midwest working as a hotel waiter that he came to Christ for the first time at a church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Eventually, he would end up in Houston, Texas, where he met a man by the name of Charles Parham, who was leading a Bible school there. William Seymour had a call on his life, and he had an incredible hunger for God. Unfortunately, due to the horrible segregation laws of the time, he wasn't able to even officially attend that school or sit in the classroom with the rest of his students. Yet he was bound and determined to learn more about God, and he would sit in the hallway outside of the classroom to listen in and learn as much as he possibly could. He made many connections with other believers while he was in Houston and was eventually invited to become the pastor of a small holiness church in Los Angeles, California, where he started to create a stir within the holiness community due to his bold preaching on the baptism of the holiness, or sorry, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. His teachings were controversial to them because he taught that tongues was the true evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit which went up against the teachings of the holiness movement, and it upset them so much that when he actually returned for the evening service that night, the doors were padlocked to keep him out. 
But of course, being a man led by God, he began prayer meetings at a small home on Bonnie Bray Street that started with just a few people and then grew and grew and grew with an expectation for the next move of God. He announced to them a 10-day fast to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One of their members asked Seymour to pray with him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit after receiving a vision the night before. And as Seymour prayed over him, he immediately received it and began speaking in other tongues. Seymour then rushed to the meeting at Bonnie Bray Street and told the other members what had happened. And spontaneous and passionate prayer for the baptism of the Holy Spirit broke out through the house. As, and as they did so, several members began to speak in tongues. News spread quickly and the crowds began to gather and crowd into and around the house, growing so big that the press of people trying to get into the house actually collapsed the foundation of it. And this caused them to, of course, need a bigger building. And so they went on to a larger building at 312 Azusa Street, the beginning of what became known as the Azusa Street Revival. People came from all over the nation to see and witness what was happening there. People were being healed, more were getting saved, many were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Revival was breaking out. And this movement didn't just stay there. Within nine months from Azusa Street, uh, missionaries were being sent throughout the west coast of the United States, Mexico, Canada, Western Europe, the Middle East, West Africa, and several countries in Asia, South Africa, Central and Eastern Europe, and even Northern Russia. The Spirit of God was moving. The kingdom of God was being built up, and the Pentecostal movement was exploding across the world. All led by a man who walked in so much humility that when he would preach, he would actually stack two empty shoeboxes in front of him, and his head would be behind the top one during the meetings. None of it was about him. It was about God and allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work. And here we are just over a century later as a Pentecostal church in large part due to the faithfulness of William Seymour. As we dive in today on this Pentecost Sunday, I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is still active today. The Holy Spirit is still working through followers of Jesus and empowering those that are willing to be used. So let's take a look at scripture in Acts chapter 2 as we discuss what Pentecost and baptism in the Holy Spirit is. So if you have your Bibles with you or want to open up your YouVersion Bible app, just go to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Now, this is a classic Pentecostal go-to passage that we all love to preach from, and I'm excited that we get to dive into this today. Verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, they were devout, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear, to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. 
Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So people are flooding into Jerusalem. Just as with the Passover festival, every male Jew living within 32 kilometers of Jerusalem was legally bound to come, and many were coming from even further away. And if you could just put the map up on the screen there. They were coming from literally all over, as you can see up there. Now, uh, falling at the beginning of June, traveling conditions were at their very best. And so this would have been the most well-attended festival. Pentecost, it actually means the 50th, and another name for Pentecost was Feast of Weeks. And it was called that because Pentecost fell on the 50th day, or a week of weeks, after the Passover. And this feast and celebration had a couple of main significances. The first was a historical significance that commemorated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And the second was an agricultural significance at the Passover Um, the crop's first omer of barley was offered to God. And at Pentecost, two loaves were offered in gratitude for the gathered harvest. The other thing about Pentecost was that the law said that no servile work was to be done on that day. It was a holiday for everyone, so the crowds on the streets of Jerusalem would be greater than ever. And in the midst of these celebrations, we come onto the scene where the believers are all gathered together waiting on the Holy Spirit. This isn't long after Jesus ascended back to heaven, where just before he did, he tells them in Acts chapter 1, 4 to 5, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're waiting with expectation. In the chapter before, it says that they all join together constantly in prayer. They have this promise from Jesus that they are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll bet they didn't know exactly what that meant at the time, but they knew enough to trust Jesus and what he told them. And this is where we need to start. This is a lesson to be learned and one that in a Western world of busyness we often lose sight of. Waiting. Waiting on the Holy Spirit. Waiting on direction from him. Waiting on him to speak to us waiting in prayer and expectation that he is coming and that he'll empower us to do incredible things for his kingdom. This is what they did. And what happens? Jesus' promise to them is fulfilled and the Spirit rushes in and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Everyone in the area comes running to see what's happening and may I remind you again that the people have come from all over and what do they hear but but sorry, but the believers filled with the Spirit speaking out in the native languages of everyone there. Not only that, but it fulfills another promise from Jesus in verse 8 of chapter 1 when he tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not only do they physically 
go out empowered by the Spirit and spread the gospel across the known world later physically. But in that very moment, they're speaking to people who have gathered from all over in their own tongues. Not only that, but this is almost like a writing of the ship from the story of the Tower of Babel, if you remember that. You know, this was a point in time when everyone on earth could speak the same language, and in their pride and their arrogance, they essentially wanted to build the symbol of how great they were. So God caused them to speak different languages so they couldn't work together and communicate to build a symbol of their pride. The word Babel even means confusion. So fast forward to here in Acts chapter 2, and now everyone is hearing the message in their own tongues, fully being able to understand This meant it wasn't just for one, but for all people, for you and for me. Now, I know that when it comes to speaking tongues, sometimes people get a little bit uneasy, right? Like even when you say you're a Pentecostal at times, you might get a bit of a weird look depending on people's experiences with it. People picture things like those prayer meetings or uh, services where a preacher is going around praying for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they're literally like pushing people over, right? Or those Benny Hinn videos where he's waving his suit jackets and entire sections of people are just falling down because obviously the spirit, you know, is just going with it, right? And, you know, they see those things and they're like, don't know if I want any part of that, right? But that's not, that's not exactly what we're all about. You know, it isn't a spectacle to be seen or something that is forced. So let's just break this down for a moment. You know, like, what is tongues. First off, speaking in tongues comes after you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we believe as Pentecostals that this is the initial evidence that this has happened. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is an experience in which believers yield control of themselves to the Holy Spirit. This isn't a forced thing by the Holy Spirit, you know, but you are allowing him to work through you. Through this, you come to know Christ in a more intimate way, and you receive power to witness and to grow spiritually. We see in this passage in Acts that speaking in tongues can be understood in other languages. You know, we see also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, that says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Speaking in tongues can also be a heavenly language that isn't understood by any earthly language and is between you and God. Being able to speak in tongues isn't something that makes one believer more important than another. But it's for the building up of the church. Paul actually speaks on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 to 5. Let's read that here. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be all mysterious. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. People would get boastful about, you know, how they could speak in tongues. But Paul, he tells the church in Corinth that he would actually rather have them prophesy because everyone will be able to understand it and it will edify the church. You know, that's why when it comes to tongues in church, we aren't all supposed to just be a chorus of people speaking in tongues. 
because that doesn't exactly help us build up, right? That is unless, of course, somebody speaks in tongues and then there's an interpretation for the church to understand, which if you've been here over the past couple of months, you know, you've probably witnessed that. But Paul does say that a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. So when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit and we begin to speak in tongues, both in that moment and thereafter, our spiritual lives increase. We are able to have a deeper relationship with God and the Holy Spirit empowers us for greater witness and spiritual growth. And there is no greater example of that than the apostles. And in this passage, the disciple Peter. Peter, we know just 50 days earlier, he denies Jesus three times after he's betrayed and handed over to the religious leaders. In that moment, he is probably in one of the darkest moments of his life as the words of Jesus telling him he's going to do that before it even happens echo in his mind. And here he is now at Pentecost, 50 days later after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he preaches to the surrounding crowds. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after he's finished preaching that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. I really hope I can preach that well one day. <laughs> 3,000 people came to know Jesus because of the Holy Spirit empowering Peter and working through him. What a redemption story. And it was because he had a willingness to wait on the Holy Spirit and to be used by him. That is just incredible to me. But I want to make sure that you know that this isn't just for then either. These gifts haven't ceased to exist since then or since the Azusa Street Revival. But I actually want to invite a friend to the stage who's going to share a testimony of the Holy Spirit empowering a group of people who did some pretty amazing things for the kingdom of God. When I heard that Jeremy was going to be in town today, I had to ask him to come up and share a testimony um, of the Holy Spirit empowering a group of people who just did incredible things for God. And really, in the six months that I was with you, I heard stories, I talked to people who were just clearly empowered by the Holy Spirit because they were going out, they were bringing immense amounts of people to faith. Like, it was just unbelievable. And so, yeah, I would just love it if you could share with us uh, just a story of that. Yes, so up in the north-central part of Ethiopia, there was a small group of former Muslim leaders who had come to faith in Christ. They were having a training. There was about 50 former Muslim leaders that were attending the training. And the training was focused on Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, contrasted with the deeds of the flesh. And as the first session came to a conclusion, they had a prayer time. And as they were praying together, all these former Muslims who had never read Acts started to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And they started to speak in tongues not knowing what was happening. And as they were praying out, people were just amazed at what was happening. And they began to ask questions. And the leader who was giving the training said, this is the empowerment of the Spirit. Now you will be very effective in sharing the gospel. Over the next three months, those leaders led a movement of more than 100,000 Muslims to know Jesus Christ. Incredible. Because the power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. Wow. When I uh, messaged Jeremy about this and I asked him to share a story, he sent me that story and he asked if that would work. And I was like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that'll do, I think. 
<laughs> but uh, Adam and the band, if you can start to make your way back to the stage. But friends, that is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in people. This is why we seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, not for personal gain or for cool stories to tell, but for the kingdom of God to be advanced here on earth. Like for people to come to know the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Today is Pentecost, the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the believers in Acts. And I fully believe that a move of God is here. We just have to be willing. I pray for a generation of people like Jeremy told us about or like William Seymour that desire to be spirit-filled, not for their own personal gain or to make a name for themselves or to live on in infamy, but rather to humbly stand and say that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit within me that allows me to do what I do, and I am simply here to build up the kingdom of God and make the name of Jesus known. Today we want to take a moment to pray for the baptism of of the Holy Spirit for anyone that desires that. Now, I've asked uh, some of the uh, members of our board if they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and their spouses, as well as Del and Arlene and uh, our staff, if they could come up and just pray over you guys if you desire that. And I fully believe that there will be a revival within this church, within this community of Kitchener-Waterloo, this nation and this world. We look back at stories like Azusa Street, not because we're trying to recreate that, or live back in those days, but as a reminder of what the Holy Spirit can do through those who are willing to be used by him. I'm thankful for times in our history like that that are incredibly inspiring. But I want to tell you today that I believe that is just a glimpse of what is to come. The best days are ahead of us. You might be wondering, well, yes, I desire the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but I really can't see myself leading a revival or a church planting movement or even leading thousands to Christ that's okay, because that's not going to be everyone. But we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit just to get through the day. Amen? Like we need the, to be empowered to go out and to reach that coworker that seems too far gone. We need to be empowered to go out and to reach that friend or family member that we've been praying for forever to finally come back to Jesus. We need to be empowered to know Jesus in a deeper and more intimate way in our daily lives so that out of the overflow of the Spirit within us, people would come to know Christ for the first time. We see that one man or woman or a small group of people, and we see what they can do when they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered to go out. Imagine, church, what would happen if an entire church community was empowered by the Holy Spirit. How many lives would change? How many people would come to know their Savior? How many schools and workplaces would be transformed? If that's you today that desires to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now to come to the front and be prayed over by some of your church family. So board, staff, I just invite you to come up. And if you desire that today, just make your way forward. And we would love. Lord, thank you so much for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much that you sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. Thank you so much for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on, that, on those early believers in Acts. Father, thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit over people throughout history. Thank you for people that sensed the call of God. Thank you for people that sensed just the pull of the Holy Spirit, that there was something more. 
that they needed more of you and less of them. Father, I pray that as we come forward today that people would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that as that happens, Father, I pray that this church community would change. I pray that they would feel empowered to go out, to reach their friends, to reach their family, to reach their coworkers, their school classmates, to reach anyone that they come across. That Christ would be so evident in their life that their Holy Spirit would just be directing everything that they do. From the most seemingly small impact to the revivals and the church planting movements that we hear about. Father, may you work through us. May you work through how you've uniquely gifted us in our own spheres of influence and even far beyond that. Father, we thank you so much. And today, we just pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on this place. We desire more of you. Just meet us here today.